Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. met my name is Adelaide um, so honored to be bringing the Word of God to you um, quick little about, bit about me if we have not met I have been an encounter since 2019 um, but I really dived into the community here in 2020 when I did internship yeah. heck yes um, just a little thing about internship if you want to love Jesus a little bit more than you already do do internship yeah. do internship we're gonna have a fresh intake next year Yes, so be praying into that because internship was the single-handed most profound formational experience of my faith thus far. Yes, but today I am super pumped because I'm bringing a word on how do I be a Christian. And if you don't know me, the most important thing you need to know about me is that I love Jesus. So I'm really excited to get into how do I be a Christian. Now, I want to name the fact that this question is massive. It's huge. So thank you, Mike Wardrop, for letting me be the lucky sucker who has to give an articulate answer to one of the biggest questions of the Christian faith. Um, So I want to name a little disclaimer before we even get into this. Today, I'm not giving you a comprehensive answer because it's impossible to do that in the time that I have you today. Instead, we're stripping it down to basics. And really, to give the spoiler the ending away, today, rather than a list of Christian boxes you need to tick, Today, I'm giving you an invitation to come and know a living, breathing person, Jesus Christ. So, (laughs) yes. So, today, I want to begin by telling you a story from my own awkward journey of working out an answer to this question in my faith. A little bit of context. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I became a Christian at 15 when I went on a youth camp, met the love of Jesus, changed my life. Don't have enough time to get into the story, but um, that life-transforming experience. But growing up, I did not have any kind of faith background, right? So for me, (laughs) and this isn't even just a funny story, this is just true, the most influential Christian presence I had in my life for the first 15 years was Ned Flanders (laughs) from the TV show, (laughs) The Simpsons. (laughs) That's not even a funny story, that's just true. (laughs) So like, picture me, nine-year-old Adelaide, like, the ideas of Christianity being absorbed into a subconscious through watching Ned Flanders and his family. (laughs) Um, So for me, I went on this youth camp as an angsty atheist. I walked into it being like, oh my gosh, these Christians, they're sheeple, like they're nice people, but wake up sheeple, God isn't real, like angsty atheist that I was. And then I left that youth camp going, oh crap, I am one of these sheeple now. (laughs) I am one of these weird Christians now, so how do I do this Christian gig? And I remember my youth pastors, um, youth pastor and um, young adults pastor at the church I was in at the time, they would always say, pray and read your Bible. Pray and read your Bible. Most important things you can do as a Christian. So I thought, great, I'm a Christian now. Praying, let's, let's give this thing a shot. But because old mate Ned Flanders was the most influential Christian presence I'd had in my life, my ideas of how to pray, they came from watching him. So in my brain, I thought, yeah, there's a certain way that we pray at church, but if you're praying by yourself, it's got to be done like Rod and Todd in the picture. Like, it's, 
if you are praying, this is, and this isn't even a funny story, this is just true. In my brain, I thought, Christians, they pray on their knees, like the class, I'm gonna do it for demonstration. So picture me, 15 year old, fresh baby Christian, like, this is the way I pray, Jesus, whatever. So that's the only way I would pray as a baby Christian. And then I, my knees got sore, so I like, because <laughs> like, so I remember talking to one of my youth pastors and being like, youth leaders, and being like, what's the deal with praying? Like, why do we have to do it on our knees? Like, do you put a cushion under your knee? Like, like how do you pray for longer? I want to pray for longer, my knees hurt. And she's like, Adelaide, you don't have to do that. <laughs> like, you, do, you don't have to do that. Um, you can just like chat to Jesus normally, like sitting in a chair. I was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? Ned Flanders, the heroes of my faith, he does that. <laughs> uh, safe to say, after that point, I learned that prayer is, you know, not as rigid as being on your knees, all the power to you if you pray on your knees though. Um, <laughs> now, I shared this story for a bit of a laugh to poke fun at 15-year-old Adelaide's lack of critical thinking. <laughs> but I also share this story just to name the fact Sometimes we can have these unhelpful images, perceptions, stereotypes, if you will, attached to Christianity and what we think it means to be a Christian. Now, in prep for this sermon, I actually had a number of different conversations with people who aren't Christian in my life to get their perspective. What do you think it means to be a Christian as someone who isn't a Christian? I'm hesitant to say the word outsider because that comes with certain connotations, but for the sake of verbiage, an outsider perspective, right? And here are some of the most common kind of responses I got in those conversations. The first one said, being a Christian, it's all about believing in God, going to church, and trying to live a nice life. Something along the lines of that. Okay, that's not bad. Wouldn't say that captures the fullness and richness of the Christian life, but not a bad place to start. The next sort of response says something along the lines that being a Christian, it is all about going to heaven when you die. It's all about heaven. You know, anything we do good here, it's just bonus points because heaven's the real big ticket. Other kind of language would say being a Christian, it's all about escaping hell. Depends on the way you would word that. The third kind of response though, and I'm lucky I didn't encounter myself in conversations, but I'm seeing it more and more on Instagram stories and Twitter, what are they called, tweets? I'm not on Twitter, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm seeing it more and more on social media and it's this kind of narrative that says being a Christian is all about using your religion as an excuse to judge, condemn, hate speech, exclude those who don't fit in the Christian bubble. Have some of us encountered that kind of perspective? Maybe some of us actually hold that perspective and you're sitting there going, actually, yeah, yeah, that's what I think it means to be a Christian because that's how Christians in my life have modeled it to me. So yeah. That's what I think it means to be a Christian. And if that's you, and you resonate with that one in particular, I wanna offer a really sincere apology on behalf of any Christian that has made you feel that that judgment, exclusion, hate speech, that is what the Christian life is about. I'm so sorry that that has been your experience. And it's my deepest prayer that today would show you that at the center of the Christian religion is a savior that looks at you and says, I see you and I love you exactly as you are. Now, some of you might be sitting there going, Adelaide, isn't the answer to how to be a Christian really simple? Don't you just look up the parts of the Bible that tell you how to be a Christian? Don't you just look up the parts where Jesus talks about being a Christian? Your answer's right there. 
straightforward is that? <laughs> because the Greek word that's used in the original manuscripts that means Christian, anyone want to take a guess how many times that appears in the Bible? Wild guess. Seven. seven? Lower. Lower than seven. Three. The word that means Christian, that literally, I'm not even going to pronounce it because I'm not Greek, I don't know, Christanoius or something. <laughs> that word only appears in the Bible three times. Do you know how many of those three times Jesus uses the word Christian? A big fat whopping zero. <laughs> zero. Jesus never uses the word Christian in any of his teachings. And that's because Jesus isn't really interested in the idea of us being Christians at all. Now, before you start ringing the heresy bell, hear me out. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Troy, wherever you are. <laughs> Jesus never uses the word Christian in any of his teachings because Jesus is far more interested in the idea of us being his disciples. Now, to get a bit of a proper picture of what a disciple really is, we kind of have to go back into the ancient Jewish context that Jesus lived in because... Shocker, Jesus was a Jew. Some of us might not be familiar with that, but Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus' Jewishness, we cannot overlook it when we look at his life because this Jewish context paints so much of a richer understanding of him when we understand this. So, in Jesus' time, can we get that next slide up, Charlie? Thank you very much. Does everyone like my um, great graphic design skills? <laughs> I tried to model it after a Google search. I don't know how good it looks. Um, in Jesus' time, you had these guys called rabbis. Everyone say rabbi. rabbi. Amazing. Turn to the person next to you and say rabbi. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to do that because that's a very preacher move and I just wanted to get that satisfying feeling. <laughs> now, rabbis were teachers. Rabbi means teacher and that's exactly what rabbis were. They were the primary teachers of the Jewish faith. Now, they were basically the men who had dedicated themselves to studying what is basically the Jewish Bible, going, okay, what does it mean to live a pleasing life to God? And then they would go to the Jewish people and say, here, based on all my studying and interpreting, this is what it means to live a pleasing life to God. This is what it means to honor the law. Now, disciples, that's what we're after here. Disciples were kind of like the rabbi's dedicated students. Now, I don't want you to think student and teacher like in a classroom, because that's us imposing our Western ideas onto a Jewish context. Much more the idea of a rabbi and disciple. It was much more like a parent and child kind of relationship. And that's because to be a disciple, it wasn't just to learn from your rabbi by taking notes on all their good teachings, although that was part of it. Being a disciple was much more about living with your rabbi and learning from them through watching the way that they lived. So if you were a disciple, you would be like your rabbi's roommate. You would watch the way that they live, the way they treat their family. You would eat meals with them. If they said a certain prayer at a certain time of day, you would say that certain prayer at a certain time of day. This is what I want you to catch. The goal of a disciple wasn't just to know what a rabbi knew was to become the kind of person that your rabbi was. And because of this, being a disciple, it wasn't just for anybody. Not any old plain old Jane could be a disciple. Because as a rabbi, you wanted to make sure you had the best of the best. You've only got a certain select group of men that you can choose as your disciples. So you want to make sure that 
They're the best of the best because you want good material to work with as a rabbi. Because you want them to be able to carry on your legacy well. So why do I tell you all this? It's not because I'm deeply passionate about the ancient Jewish context, although you know, it helps us understand the Bible better. Because we're about to jump into a story from the Bible. And when we understand this Jewish context, it will give us a much richer understanding of what a disciple of Jesus is. So let's jump to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. If you have a Bible with you, please read along in your own Bible. But it's going to be behind me. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. I like that I'm telling you, get to it in your Bible. And I haven't even done that myself. All right. Um, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, and this is Jesus calling his first disciples. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God indeed. Now, there is a lot that we can unpack in just this story, but I don't have enough time to do that with you today. So instead, I'm just going to take you through the three main movements of this story. And that is, if you're the note-taking type, take notes because I'm doing the classic preacher trick of three points. The three movements from this story, I learned from the best, best mic. Three main movements from this story. Jesus meets, Jesus invites, and there is a response. Do you like my movements? <laughs> Jesus meets, Jesus invites, the response. <laughs> um, Let's look at that first one, that first movement from this story. Jesus meets, more specifically, Jesus meets us exactly where we are and exactly as we are. One of the really interesting things about this story, and there is a lot of interesting things going on in this story, but one of the most interesting things is that Jesus approaches these men in their most ordinary, rather boring context. Let's think about it for a second. For Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they are fishermen. So fishing, that is what they do day in, day out. That's, they're like, they're going to work when Jesus approaches them. Can we get the the passage back up? Amazing. They're fishing when Jesus approaches them. What does that tell us? That Jesus approaches these men in their average, everyday, boring context. It preaches itself, right? That's no different for us today. Now, to engage with this point a little bit differently, I wanted us to do a bit of a reflective exercise. Now, it's not going to take that long, but hopefully it'll help you just engage and open up this point a bit better. What I want everyone to do is to get rid of their phones, get rid of their distractions. I see about three people just go. (laughs) I want everyone to close their eyes. Come along with me on this reflective exercise. (laughs) Great. Everyone take a deep breath. (sighs) Amazing. Let's just center ourselves. Now, with your eyes closed, with a baby banging in the background, (laughs) 
with your eyes closed, I want you to just picture what is the kind of place that you most often find yourself in life right now? What is that context? If someone asked you to paint a picture of your everyday context, what is the picture that you've got up in your mind? I want you to just picture that in your mind. Think about it. Imagine yourself in that environment. What are you doing? What kind of smells? What kind of sounds are there? For some people, it might be, <laughs> and this is not hypothetical, for some people, it might be comforting a crying baby with vomit on your shoulder. We've all got different lives. We've all got different contexts, but what is yours? Now, with that image in your head, I want you to imagine Jesus walking into that environment, looking you in the eyes and saying, will you follow me here? And I want you to just think about how that sits with you. Does it challenge you? Does it confuse you? Does it excite you? Does it comfort you? Do you feel apathetic to it? Just take a note of how that invitation sits with you. Now, when you're ready, you can open your eyes back up. See, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> now, I do this not because it's just a nice little reflective exercise. I do that because that is the reality of our lives. That image is the reality of our lives. That even the most boring average context, Jesus is already there, already present, already moving. And more than that, asking us, will you come join with me in what I am doing here? Will you follow me here? There's a real need to normalize the mundane, boring, everyday context of our lives as holy space fit for the presence of Jesus to walk with us in. Discipleship, it is done in the context of your everyday lived experience. So I want to ask, what is your everyday lived experience? Because that is exactly where you will find Jesus inviting you to follow him in. Now, swiftly moving along to this second movement. We've got Jesus meets, Jesus invites. This is the second movement from the story. More specifically, the invitation, come follow me. Now, this wording isn't just happenstance. Jesus didn't just choose to say that because that's what he could get their attention with. Jesus is intentionally using this language because this is the exact kind of invitation a Jewish rabbi would give to ask someone to be his disciple. Of course, in this context, the disciple is the one that asks the rabbi, can I be your disciple? But if the disciple chooses that you are worthy of being, if the rabbi says you are worthy of being my disciple, that will extend this invitation, come follow me. Now, based on what we were looking at before with this Jewish context, what is Jesus inviting these men into? Come live with me. Come do life with me. Come follow me by learning from my teachings, but far more. Come learn from seeing the kind of person I am living life beside me. Jesus' invitation really is come and become like me. And it's really interesting to know that Jesus invites these men to follow him exactly as they are when he finds them. Notice there is a real lack of Jesus saying, come follow me, but only when you've reached a certain level of sinlessness. Come follow me, but only when you've got your life sorted enough to. 
Come follow me, but only when you understand the whole of the Bible, the whole of the Jewish scriptures. Come follow me only when you've got a good relationship with the church. Mm, that one sits a bit differently, doesn't it? If you are someone who says, I could never be a Christian because I'm not good enough to. I could never be a Christian because I don't fit very many Christian boxes. I couldn't be a Christian because my life isn't good enough to be one. Let me tell you, the Jesus we see in this story, he would look at you and say, you don't need to be. You don't need to be to follow me. Just come follow. I don't want perfection. I just want you. Now, let's move on to this third movement. We've got Jesus, what was the movement? Jesus meets, Jesus invites, and there is a response. <laughs> this, this third movement, Jesus, uh, there is a response. More specifically, there is a response from the disciples of obedience. They follow him. We see in, both these, we see in this story that Jesus meets these men, he invites them, but the key, and the key to being a disciple of Jesus is that you follow him. Now, in 21st century Western culture, we can hear that word obedient, we can kind of tense up a bit, like, oh gosh, obedience, that's like what a dog is to their master, like, ugh. Obedience comes with this certain connotation, this idea of things that infringe upon us, things that restrict us and infringe upon our sense of personal comfort and freedom. But I want us to catch that obedience to Christ, it isn't about trying to force ourselves into a Christian box to get the approval of an angry God. Far more, and I found this far more in my experience, the idea of obedience to Christ in the context of following him, really is simply about turning away from the things that are holding me back from more fully looking at the loving gaze of Jesus Christ. And I really want us to catch that in all of this, it is a daily process. Discipleship is a daily process. That is, it is a daily meeting with Jesus. It is a daily hearing his invitation afresh to follow him. And it is a daily response of obedience. Yes. And so I want to ask, what does it mean for you to daily follow Jesus in your unique lived experience? That's not a question I can answer for you because I don't know the nuances of your lived experience. What I do know is that Jesus is inviting you to follow him within it. And I know some of you are going to hear this and go, Adelaide, I don't even know how to begin that journey. I don't practically, I don't even know how to start this journey of discipleship. You might be asking, Adelaide, this sounds great, but practically, how do I do this? And I've got a few simple points for you. My first one, really all of the points I want to make, is get to know Jesus really get to know him. That's the most practical point I can give you. And here are some of the really simple ways you can do that. I'm just going to fly through them really quickly because the past three weeks of the Hey Google series has been looking at these things. We've got Read the Gospels. They're basically the autobiography of Jesus. If you're someone who's asking, how do I get to know Jesus better? Read about the kind of person he is. Discover him for yourself through reading the Gospels. Now, second practical tip is begin a conversation with Jesus and pray. 
Now, last week we had an awesome um, sermon from Jen on prayer, so I'm not going to talk too much on this. But really, I just want to make the point. (laughs) It's really hard to get to know someone if you don't talk to them, just practically. So if you want to get to know Jesus, start a conversation with him and ask him to reveal more of himself to you. Because Jesus is not someone who likes to hold out on us. Now, my third point really is just to talk to people who have been following Jesus for a while. The kind of Christians you look at and you go, I'm really compelled by their life. I really admire their character. I'm not going to name people, but I have a list of people in my head that I can refer you to. (laughs) Talk to people who have been following Jesus for a while. Ask them what has been helpful in their journey, what has worked, what hasn't. Learn from their mistakes. Open up a conversation. So let me tell you, if you talk to someone like Bran, and he's going to hate that I'm giving him a shout-out, but I'm doing it anyway. If you talk to someone like Bran, a man of God who has been faithfully walking beside Jesus for years, I won't tell you how many years because he will smack me across the head. (laughs) If you talk to someone like Bran who has been following Jesus for many years, one of the first things he will tell you about Jesus is that Jesus really is his best friend. And that right there, that's the key. (laughs) The question, how do I be a Christian? It doesn't find its answer so much in the how as it does the who. And the who at the center of it all is Jesus Christ. And that gives us a different kind of question. Who is Jesus? We don't have time to unpack that one, but I'm just going to leave that in your, the ball's in your court with that question. Go away and wrestle that one out. Everything I've said so far about discipleship, what it means to be a Christian, the framework for how the uh, Christian life is meant to be lived out in the context of discipleship, it all means nothing if it is not done in the context of an intimate friendship with Jesus. You can tick all the Christian box. You can have the great prayer life. You can go to church really consistently. You can do all the quote-unquote Christian things. But if you don't know Jesus like a friend, it's just hollow religion. This is what Jesus says himself in John 15, verses 14 to 15. I want to encourage you, if you're someone who is asking, what does it mean to be a Christian? Go and sit and read and meditate on John 15. It's one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. Don't have enough time to read the whole chapter, so I'm just picking out a couple. John 15, verses 14 to 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? Friends. Friends. I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. The promise of Jesus is this. If we follow him, if we step into this discipleship journey, we don't find an angry judge who demands perfection from us. We don't find this Lord who waits for us to fail so he can smite us. We don't find a historic figure with some nice principles to adopt into our life. We don't find a good teacher, a good person to kind of loosely adopt his way of life so we can become better people. 
If we follow Jesus, we find a best friend. Being a Christian, this is what I want you to catch. Being a Christian, it is all about being a best friend of Jesus. And so I want to ask, do you know Jesus like a friend, like a best friend? And if you don't, are you willing to? To get back to that original question, how do I be a Christian? Simply put, you be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot you can unpack in just that sentence. (laughs) But that's the core. That is the core of the Christian religion. A loving saviour who invites us into a beautiful journey of knowing him and becoming like him. And so as we come into a close, <laughs> I want to read a journal entry from about six months after I became a Christian. Um, I was 16 at the time, and 16-year-old Adelaide had some incredible taste. <laughs> Rainbow sparkly unicorn smiggle journal. <laughs> so you can tell what kind of headspace I was in from just the journal. <laughs> uh, and I wrote this about six months after being a Christian. You know what, I'm just going to read it. (laughs) School hasn't been too bad. Just research project as hackers. I'm not even kidding. That's literally the words that 16-year-old Adelaide chose. Hackers, that's the... 16-year-old Adelaide, hackers, that's the best way I know to describe this. I'm generally in a season of waiting at the moment. At Seiko, which is a youth camp, last year... Long story short, I got the call into ministry and I'm kind of just waiting around for God to guide me and let me know where exactly I'm heading in terms of ministry and how to get there. Pause. 20-year-old Adelaide is still wondering that same thing, so good good luck, 16-year-old Adelaide. We're not much further in that journey. I'm scared. I struggle with feelings of unworthiness. I mean, God never, and never is written in all capitals here. I mean, God never makes mistakes. But really? Me? Why? I have so little knowledge of the Bible as well as being generally a not that bold Christian. Not to mention the fact I have no clue how to lead people. And God has called me? This broken, completely imperfect, sinful human to do his work in ministry? I don't understand God sometimes. When I wrote that, every single word I just read to you is exactly how I was feeling at that time. But here we are, (laughs) almost five years later, I'm about to finish a ministry degree. Don't don't cheer for me, don't cheer for me. (laughs) I'm about to finish a ministry degree. I've served in leadership here at Encounter and I'm preaching to you all right now. And please, please don't cheer for me. (laughs) All of those things I've just stumbled and bumbled my way through. (laughs) And I know that I only stand today before you by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. As cool as that journey has been, I need you to know That if God can take a deeply insecure 16-year-old girl 
and lead her on a journey of redemption and restoration to the point where she is preaching in front of people? If God can do something like that in someone like me, someone needs to know you are not the exception to his grace. If he can do this in someone like me, you are not the exception to his love. I'm getting emotional because I hate to think that there are people who are saying, I am the exception. That's great for you, Adelaide, but I'm the exception. You're not. All right, I knew I was going to cry at some point in this sermon. (laughs) When we say yes to Jesus, it can be filled with so many doubts and so much uncertainty. And this journal entry is a testament to that. But the thing is, with following Jesus, it is not about knowing where you're going. It's about knowing the one that you go beside. (laughs) It's about knowing the one who has called you to go. Because the thing about discipleship, it is such a gradual process that sometimes we convince ourselves that we're not even moving at all. But in my experience, I found that discipleship, it is just one yes. After another yes, I will pray even though I stumbled over my words. After another yes, I will read the Bible even though I didn't understand what the heck was going on. After another yes, I will rock up to church even though I have to make awkward small talk with people that I don't really know and I have to sacrifice my time. There's a lot of stumbling and bumbling on the way. One yes after another yes after another yes and then at some point you look around and you go, I'm not where I used to be by the grace of God. I'm not the person I used to be by the grace of God. Hang on. I think I'm better friends with Jesus than I once was. That's the key. It's one yes after another yes. Not perfection, far from it. But a gradual, daily yes. And if there's any way that I could answer this question, how do I be a Christian? How do I, Adelaide Cooper, be a Christian? Very simply, I just get caught up in this divine movement of Jesus' redeeming love. That's it. Because that has everything to do with his goodness, everything to do with his kindness, everything to do with his love, his faithfulness, and very little to do with how good I am. Now, to come to a close, I want to invite people to a time of response. And I've intentionally left this part open to just see what God wants to do with this space. And I want us to do something a little countercultural, a little uncomfortable, and that is to not rush. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what? I'm not used to that. I want us to just sit for a second and really ask God, what is it you want to speak to us? Because it's one thing for me to get up here and tell you all about Jesus the thing that's really going to convict you of the Christian life is encountering him personally for yourself. So why don't we do that? Why don't we just spend a moment just in prayer waiting on God to speak? Jesus, thank you. May you look at us and call us friends. 
What a beautiful thing to know God in flesh, not as a judge, <laughs> not as a high ruler <laughs> we don't have access to, but as a friend, <laughs> someone to laugh with, to cry with, <laughs> to tell our secrets to. Thank you, Jesus, that you are friend. And we can know you like a friend. I get this image of someone. I don't know who this is for. This image of someone and they're cowering in the corner. And you've got dirt and your clothes are torn. I feel like there's someone or a group of people who are saying, that's lovely, but you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the life I've lived. Adelaide, you do not know the things I've done behind closed doors. And you're right, I don't. <laughs> but let me tell you, Jesus does, and he still looks at you and says, I want you as my best friend. I love you. And I'm inviting you to come follow me and you don't have to be perfect before you do. You just have to do it. I think that's another word for someone. There's this hesitancy. You want to dive into following Jesus, but you're like, oh, I've got doubts. <laughs> I want to dive into following Jesus, but oh, I don't know if I can quite do it. I feel like Jesus is saying, that's all right. It's just one step after another step. You don't have to dive fully in but just one step closer to me, that's all I'm asking. I really feel the need also to pray for people who've had Christianity modeled to them poorly in their lives. And for this, I would love if everyone could just close their eyes and bow their heads, just to create a space where people feel like they don't have a bunch of eyes watching them. If that's you, you're saying, you know what, Adelaide, I want to believe the Christian life is good and I want to believe it's worth it, but I don't know. The way it's been modeled to me, the way Christians in my life have shown it to me, oh, I don't believe that it's good. And if that's you, I would just love if you could raise your hand so that I could know who I'm praying for. Thank you so much. I see that hand. I see you. And I want you to know that Jesus, he grieves with you. Jesus is sitting beside you and he's weeping over the injustice that has been done to you in his name. Oh God, for those hands that are raised. Pray for healing. Oh Lord, I pray that you would know, help those people know that what has been done to them, that's not who you are. That you look at them with love and with compassion in your eyes. Just pray that you will wrap your arms around them. And I would just be able to sense, sense your love wrapping around them, God. And I want to pray that you just put a vision in their heart. And the Christian life, it is good and it is worth it because it is following you. The most faithful, loving friend we will ever have who will never hurt us. And God, as Christians, we repent 
Oh, Father, we repent for the times that we have poorly worn your name. We repent of the times that we have modeled the Christian life poorly to people. Father, I just pray. Pray that we would step into the simple joy of knowing you like a friend. <laughs> Living lives as friends of Jesus. Would you help us to respond with joy? Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness, Jesus. And we never, never overlook your kindness. Have your way, Jesus. Because when you have your way, there is life and life in abundance. So have your way, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.